Hello, this is Daniel Mounter from the podcast Englishman in Montreal. With the second uh, podcast episode from this week, which will probably be uploaded on Sunday, so into February. This is the second in a series of uh, mixed episodes where I go into a short journalistic entry and then move on to a more specific topic. As always, please let me know if you find this is easier or harder to listen to, or if you have any feedback at all. Constructive criticism is really appreciated too. Just please stay in touch and keep me updated with suggestions or ideas. For the general episode, there is not much to add since the previous podcast. Uh, my mood's considerably more upbeat. Um, as mentioned in my specific podcast last time, um, I was dealing with impatience issues and the frustrations of modern technology especially. Finally, my computer has decided to actually respond and having done a major reset of everything, it appears to be functioning much, much faster and more usably now. I'm not going to hold my breath because technology being what it is, um, there's still a potential for a lot of things to go wrong. And unfortunately during January and February, a lot of my recurring subscriptions need to be updated. So I'm having, I'm having to watch the budget carefully there. I, I'm totally done with free uploads and free software except perhaps for a, um, a web browser. Having said that, um, my upbeat mood is not entirely down to technology finally coming through for me. Uh, also, I have the end in sight for my recognition of acquired competencies. So what that means is potentially there is a possibility of a teaching job starting during this year. And it also clarifies in my mind my decision to move away from aviation. The um, RAC process, as it's called, the RAC, only has a couple of modules left to go, of which next week I'll be doing two more. They're the largest and most complicated ones, so I'm going to have to go back to the drawing board and study. But by and large, it's more than a nervous feeling. It's a feeling of relief that this entire project will be completed finally. As far as ongoing projects go, there's not much change since the last episode. Um, I need to keep my creative side functioning and also to use that as one of my proven coping mechanisms a lot more. Um, whether that be for projects I've promised people or if it be just for my own amusement. That needs upkeep, just like any kind of relationship. And with creativity, I have a relationship going back a very long way. So moving on to the specific topic of this podcast. And um, this is about friendship and how many different types there are. And it's very pertinent to these times when conventional friendships have had to take a back seat to 
people's safety. A lot of people have had many issues with this and it's understandable because for mo many people, in fact most people, the um, pandemic has been unprecedented. It's not something that experiences or even study have prepared people for and in-person friendships especially have had to radically change or even be completely rethought. I've often had to challenge my own beliefs around friendships and not only that but to defend my beliefs about friendships because with experience comes a certain security in in my beliefs and in my experience and while I have to remain open-minded of course there are many things I haven't tried when it comes down to things like friendship I do feel that I have plenty of insight into my own personality and my own history and my views on friendship is mostly based on my previous experience not only this but some observations as well along the road as I mentioned before I try to shy away from categorizing anything but in the case of friendship I've, I've managed to isolate four types and um, they're not hard and fast categories uh, certain friends can be if you like in the center of a Venn diagram where the circles of all four types of friendship overlap and these friendships can move from one type to another of course <clears throat> depending on circumstances so the four types that I like to define are the in real life or in person friendships, distance friendships, virtual friendships, and pen pal. Now the last three categories, they necessarily overlap a bit, but they can be distinct and exclusive of the other types. Firstly, looking at the um, <clears throat> in real life or personal in-person friendships, this, I think, is most people's conventional idea of a friend. Whether the origin was demographic, i.e. they were neighbours' kids, or um, institutional, through school, work, or activities. These are people that we encounter in person, in the flesh, as it were. Now, it's very difficult not to generalise too much here. My main issue with that type of friendship is it can often be superficial and it can also depend very much on how the friendship originated. My upbringing in the exclusive brethren system taught me that uh, anybody and everybody within the circle of followers should be considered my friend and this extended way beyond my peers. In fact, um, I was discouraged from having any special friendships among my peers during my time 
as a follower of the EB system. And um, these early formative experiences from my pre-adolescent childhood have kind of made me find it easy to make superficial friends very easily because I have this mentality of giving people the benefit of the doubt and allowing them within the circle of friendship until they prove otherwise unworthy. Um, but these friendships which are formed uh, superficially but on common ground I find tend not to move into they tend not to move into the territory of what I would consider a close friend where I could consider them somebody who I could confide in at any time about anything the friendships that normally occur through school and incidentally also were problematic for me during my time at high school particularly I was discouraged from any kind of socialization with non-EB followers so the friendships I had were formed exclusively at school and did not continue outside of school I did have a few people among my peers that I felt a really strong affinity to and a few that I trusted with limited segments of my life but it couldn't be said that at any point in my schooling that I could fully confide in any one person <clears throat> excuse me once I left school and um lost literal touch with these people um, the friendships rapidly disintegrated and it made me think that they were based merely on affinity and I think this happens quite a lot with any um, friendship that's institutional um, people change workplace and that means their their work friends are often left behind um, people move house and the neighbors are not the same anymore and um, to keep this kind of relationship friendship going it needs more or less constant positive effort or repeated effort if the friendship started in that way and there's a, also another category of in real life friends and those are the ones that are found randomly through shared interests like your hobbies these ones tend to be pretty stable as long as you continue in the interest or the hobby and uh, having a shared interest really seems to help because it creates a common ground which is outside of a lot of cultural or racial or gender or age obstacles the only downside of these is that if um, the budget doesn't exist for these interests or as has happened in the past year there's a pandemic which causes uh, in-person meetings to be a problem these friendships have to be kind of transposed into the virtual realm um, the other thing about 
having friends which have an interest in common is you can have several pools of friends with very different interests and that's why I believe it's really important to have a diverse range of interests. You wouldn't tend to think that um, your friends made at a stitch or sewing club or a surf club would necessarily be the same people. Obviously there's always exceptions to the rule but they're not really from the same demographic in general. But that does mean if you have such diverse interests you're likely to have friends from quite a wide bracket of society. And that's where I think um, the in-person friendship and the ease of making friends is something that can always grow. It's something that shouldn't be discouraged simply on the basis that it's complicated making friends or keeping them like that. Because at any one time, people from your circle of friends can become a confidant or become a trusted person by proving themselves. And that's why I'm not ready to dismiss completely in-person friendships which don't continue beyond into the virtual or the not-in-person realm. And that's why I move on now to um, discussing a little bit the distance friendship. These start pretty often as um, an in-person friendship. And it can come about through things such as moving a house or moving jobs. And I generally consider distance friendship to be one that is maintained by whatever method, by phone, internet, but also includes occasional visits and um, mutual visits. These, uh, these friendships which start in real life and continue in distance, they're greatly fostered by the, the speed of modern tech and travel. A lot of people have transitioned to this kind of friendship. Um, friends formed while we're on holiday, in person, or people who've moved away can keep in touch much better with the internet with video conferencing and up until the unfortunate 2020 a lot of people could visit in person um, when the people are not always available physically I think uh, distance friendship can really test and prove the strength of friendship and it can serve to reinforce it. Conversely it can also lead people to fall out of friendship and lose touch which is why like any kind of relationship it needs a little bit of commitment and a small amount of positive action from both parties. And um, People might be asking why are distance friendships any different to um, the virtual or pen pal types. My, my differentiation is in the fact there's quite often a visit. And normally the origin of the friendship is through in-person, in-real-life knowledge of that person. 
whereas um, virtual and pen pal friendships can often be created literally from that. So moving on to um, the virtual friendship. Rightly or wrongly, these are really uh, a very much maligned type of relationship. There is some um, there is some justification for that, which I'll come on to in a little bit. Now, the uh, the virtual friendship is um, often with people that we've never met in the flesh and never spoken to eye to eye. And while that may seem problematic, it's um, it has certain advantages to it. The problems you might get with this kind of friendship is it's very easy to um, curate an image of a lifestyle and present a best case scenario. But with um, video calling, I don't think that's quite such an issue that it could be if you're only communicating by email or by text or by messenger. The biggest the biggest downside is also the the biggest positive about virtual friendships. It's the uh, it's the time the proportion of time that you spend offline or disconnected, and this is a part of your life that the other friend knows nothing about or may know nothing about. What you do when your computer's turned off or your phone is put away is quite a mystery to them unless you overshare on social media for example but i think that um that disconnect could be a um positive thing i'm thinking of in real life friendships um for example uh, visiting a house where a parent of the friend is dangerous or abusive as opposed to having an online visit, so to speak, talking with people like that, we may still be exposed to the conditions in the home, but we're not directly put in danger. And this disconnect can be a valuable thing, especially if you value your privacy. And in most friendships, um, although they can be very close, there are times when we need our own small space isolated from everything and everybody else it's a lot easier to do that with a virtual friendship there's also a bit less of the commitment such as a financial and responsibility when it's online it can also be a positive thing of the disconnect from virtual friendships that um this person, this friend, is not always in the same room and they are not connected in every aspect of life. They may not share any of the same demographics. So it creates something a little like the confidence one feels for a therapist, I think. Um, it's a lot easier to to trust or confide things in a neutral therapist who doesn't have any other connection in real life um, or on virtually. So I think the, the virtual friendship, while it has its 
downsides. It has obvious upsides, like uh, you cannot catch COVID or any other virus from an online friendship if there's no physical presence there. Also, it's it's harder to profit um, physically from a friend who is virtual only because it, it actually leads to their motives being less questionable. If somebody can't um, profit from your friendship, use you as a sounding board for all their woes, by the simple fact you can cut them off by ending a session of, of chat or simply not reading their message, because that lack of um, potential motivation is there, those friendships could actually be less questionable than a lot of in-person friendships. And then the final type, this one, um, it does mean a lot to me. I won't say it defines all my friendships because m most of my closest friends that I can call confidants are in real life friends with whom I communicate virtually at the moment because there's no other choice. Um, but pen pal friendships, they're similar to the virtual friendship and they are usually self-originating. Although it's possible to stay in touch as a, um, a distance friend using snail mail. So they can be a, like a bolstering factor in maintaining a, a distance friendship. That depends if visits uh, work out, of course. It has all the dis it has all the advantages of a um, a virtual friendship, but with some for me at least added benefits. There is the tactile, tangible element of holding a real written letter. It's almost like a physical extension of the person, and it can contain really subtle clues, nuances, and a slice of the other person's life because essentially that's what it is the um the added brain through hand and eye coordination element of a snail mail letter or a postcard really does contain some of the personality of the other person and you do have the fragility of a letter it's something that could be burned or destroyed lost some kind of tragedy like a fire or a flood could easily wipe it out but that kind of imbues the letters and cards and gifts sent from a pen pal with a lot more value so they have usually have greater sentimental value than say an email that you keep referring back to and while virtual communications can still have meaning. If they're not printed, there isn't that uh, tactile element there. A huge electromagnetic pulse could wipe out the world's internet quite easily and you have disasters such as uh, phones becoming unresponsive or as I've experienced recently, uh, computers simply not wanting to work properly. Now you don't get that problem with a pen pal letter. You can keep it tucked away in a drawer 
you can display it you put it in a frame or a display case even and you can include small tokens of who the person is who sent it the case in point would be I have quite a few digital pictures of my mother and obviously all my prints from when I took film pictures but I also have many pictures taken by my brother during visits and those um, those photos are very precious but as I haven't printed any of them I do have this unease that if there was a catastrophic electronic event I would lose all of those but what I do have in my fire safe is a recipe sent me by my mother and it has a handwriting it has very small nuances that told me what mood she was in when she was writing it and that small scrap of a memo pad is incredibly precious to me so these this type of friendship has a special something and it uh, it has a a big element of the uh, old world as well of a time past not only this but writing uh, letters in handwriting or even typing them and printing them I find just adds an element not just of romance but of authenticity when you're committing words to paper I think there's an extra pause for thought and the necessary slowness of it means that you think more carefully about what you're going to write and that could be a disadvantage too it could be that you create too too accurately your writing and it is just words but I think in handwriting um, there's a tendency to let in a lot more Freudian slips and small errors and just changes in the actual handwriting can really convey a huge amount of information just like a picture can so really summarizing there are all four types of friendship which can be distinct but there's a lot of communication between the types and people can move to and from those categories I wouldn't like to say that any of my friends fit into a specific category but I think it's become really pertinent that um, during the repeated lockdowns and precautions around the pandemic people have discovered the value of in-person friendships and the damage it does not being able to physically hug a person or to have that physical element of contact which is why although the other types of friendship have stepped in even there's even been a resurgence in pen pals although that's happened it's still very difficult for the majority of people who used to rely on physical friendship and this goes completely beyond the sexual it's a platonic thing in most cases but just the simple fact of having to think twice before shaking somebody's hand or before giving them a hug in person not to mention nearly all the social contacts being removed that's very difficult for everybody but what I would like to to say as a an afternote to this podcast 
is that in the meantime, while we are prevented from meeting up with people, from giving them hugs, from giving them genuine physical support, there are other types of friendship that our physical in real life friendships can transition to temporarily and they can be rewarding and therapeutic if we know how to make use of them. So I'd encourage everybody who is struggling with that to maybe consider some of the other options, um, whether that be phoning somebody you haven't been in touch with for a long time, reaching out to them maybe in an email or a text message. And even if you have their address from a Christmas card list, maybe to sit down and write a physical letter to that person. The experience is very therapeutic. I've proven that over many years of extreme isolation from other people when I had no social circle whatsoever. And in a sense, the therapeutic part of a friendship I actually gained from journaling. So your journal, like Anne Frank's, could become your best friend for the for the period when this lockdown is necessary. The physical distancing element of this plague which is going on around the world is probably not going to be lifted for some time. So I think our coping strategies for that are going to be really important. I felt moved to continue this podcast for this week, having read several articles supporting the supporting the principle of physical in real life friendship. And I think it's important that we get back to that as soon as it's safe to do so. But in the meantime, maybe try one or more of the distance friendship methods see how they work. I'd be interested to hear the feedback and to know how people are getting on with that. Also, if it would make the subject of another podcast, if people are that interested in it. So this has been Daniel Mounter from the podcast Englishman in Montreal. Thank you, as always, for listening. And please keep the suggestions coming for new and upcoming episodes.